Welcome back to the Royals Farm Report podcast. My name is Joel Penfield, joined as always by Alex Duvall. How are you doing tonight? Joel, I'm doing well. The The power outages didn't roll through my house just yet, so I'm hoping that they'll hang on until we're done recording this to shut my power off for the next hour. So uh, hopefully we make it through this. Otherwise, I'll continue to semi-freeze in my basement. Yeah, here up here or down here in uh, Stillwater, they talked about doing rolling blackouts, but have already backed off of it. So thankfully, uh, we don't have to worry about that. But I'm glad we have the opportunity to record tonight. Tonight, as I mentioned on our last episode, we're going to go through our top 50 prospects over at the site. Uh, about four or five guys go through and we rank them. Alex takes the aggregate and we go from there. But here to help us do that is kind of Travis Ice. He is a former pro scout. Uh, with the Los Angeles Angels, spent six years as a pro scout, covered the Royals specifically for all six of those years. So he's a pretty good familiarity with the organization, and he's here to help us kind of break things down and look at it from kind of an outsider's perspective, someone that worked for a separate organization, even though he covered the Royals for that amount of time. We're really excited. Travis, how are you doing? I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're excited to get a third perspective, kind of an outsider's perspective, as I mentioned, you know, someone that, you know, you work for a different organization, but covering the Royals as extensively as you did, you have a lot of familiarity and you, you really know what you're looking at with these guys. Yeah. You know, I was assigned them every year. I live, you know, 30 minutes outside of Kansas city. So proximity wise, you know, they were one of my assigned clubs every year and, you know, yeah, I growing up around Kansas city, I was always a Royals fan. So it was pretty cool to do that. And, you know, Still, trying to be a fan again now that I'm looking at it from the outside. As I wrong with that, Alex and I are fans too. So I guess you know I'm sure it's a little tougher when you spend that much time in pro ball uh, doing what you did. You know, I had the dream of being a scout for a really long time, so I, I get that to a certain extent. Uh, but it is kind of fun being a fan sometimes. Uh, but we'll we'll see how things go. Alex, where do you want to start on this list? Uh, do you want to go for 50 down, or how do you want to how do you want to go about this here? Yeah, let's go ahead and start on the back end of this here, and we'll we'll just slowly work our way up. We're not going to have time to hit on all fifty of these guys. But we'll 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 hit on some of the guys that you know that are kind of I thought were in an interesting place on the list, or you know guys that have the chance to go way up on the list or maybe fall off the list. So um, with that spirit in mind, um, you know I think there's a lot of people who for a long time had Emmanuel Rivera, you know, in the at least in the top thirty of their list, if not. I know MLB Pipeline had him in the top 20 there for a little bit. Um, we've got him, you know, closing out this thing at number 50. And, you know, I know Dayton Morris talked about him a little bit and how he's got the ability to handle himself around the bag at third base. But, man, I just haven't seen it. And, I, and I've always been a little bit lower on Rivera than I was some other guys. Like, you know, we had Gabriel Cancel above him for a while. And, you know, Cancel, I don't really know what happened. I don't know that if he got out of shape or – what the change was, but there was something not stark, but just off enough when he got to double A that just didn't, I mean, he had a great start at double A and then Gabriel Cancel really fell off the map there at the end of the year. And I, I'm not, I hated what I saw. The Royals moved him over to first base some, and that's, you know, definitely no good for a guy that's never going to be, um, you know, a, a, a massive hitter. He was, he was going to be able to hit enough at second base, I thought, but, Gabriel Cancel has totally fallen off our list, and I'm afraid Emmanuel Rivera by midseason is going to be off that list too. Um, I think he starts the year as the everyday third baseman for the Omaha Storm Chasers. I know the Royals like him. You know, I know that he's 
going to be a guy that they like enough to give him a shot in the big leagues as long as he is adequate. But I don't think he sticks. I, I don't see it. Um, he's 24 years old. He'll be 25 by the end of the season or at the end of the, the calendar year. I just don't see it. He has not tapped into his raw power at all. And, you know, what? Like, like I said, while he's got a good glove at third base, he's the kind of guy that, along with Lucius Fox and along with Gabriel Cancel, that if I just had to guess, I, I don't think he's going to be on our list by this time next year. Yeah, I'm kind of I, – I agree there. Um, I'm not – you know, I haven't seen a ton of it, but tra- Travis, I'll get your perspective on it. I have not seen Rivera in person. Uh, what, what do you think about his potential at this point, if there is any? No, uh, I'm with Alex almost right on here. You know, third, he's got a big arm, but, you know, defensively I've always found him stiff and kind of, you know, air prone. Uh, the bat, I've, I don't think – I would take the glove over the bat, and I don't like the glove. So, I, I yeah, I don't think he's going to be in your top 50 next year. I for, And I like Cancel. I'll admit that. I would still take Cancel over Rivera, I think. Yeah, I, I was a big Gabe Cancel guy when I first joined the site and when first started covering the team when he was in high A and felt like every game it was two for four with some sort of RBI double in there. Alex and I had the the tweets going for, you know, with beers whenever he – uh, whenever he would do that because it was damn near every game and he had certain he showed flashes of that in northwest arkansas but we haven't seen much of that since and it felt like he really fell off the map especially when they moved into first base he's not going to be a first base and he really we were hoping he was going to stick at second it doesn't seem like that's the case and it sucks because it was a guy that i like to root for early on in his career but i don't i don't think it's going to be much more and i think there's a reason why he's off that top 50 uh, who yeah and i hate to make I hate to, just real quick, one more note on Cancel. I hate to make like a, a judgment from afar, but it almost looked to me like he spent an offseason working on his body to tap into more power. And when he did that, he lost his ability to move around the bag a second and never got into the power, which is, you know, the issue that Emmanuel Rivera is going to have as well is, you know, no matter what they can or can't do defensively, they never got into enough power for it to matter. So, um, you know, it's unfortunate, but. I do think Emmanuel Rivera will make a big league debut just because I think the organization likes him enough, but I just don't see it. He's a guy like Lucius Fox. I know a lot of people are going to gonna have him up on those lists a little higher, but, you know, I just – Rivera's I, not a bad guy to have down in AAA. That, 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 right. I think that would be but, a yeah, good thing It kind of feels like that – It's the, we've seen it the last couple of years, like Umberto Arteaga or Ramon Torres, something like that, where it's that – you know, that kind of switch hitting or, you know, the bat's not great, but he can move around the infield a little bit, but never going to, ma- you know, make a slight place as a bench guy, but not much more than that. Um, yeah, I'm not sold Rivera can move anywhere around on the infield. I, I, he's like a 40, 45 defender, and I think that's what he is at third, and that's what you're going to get. I, right. He's not going to play short for sure, and second base, I doubt it. Yeah, like maybe we'll see him in the big leagues in a pinch, but I think that's really if the Royals are in a pinch. I think they'll find ways to move around that rather than trying to get him up unless it's absolutely desperate. For sure. Yeah, next next pair of guys I want to jump to. Um, at 47 and 46, we got Samuel Valerio and Anderson Paulino. Um, I wrote in here that I, I, I no, no two pitchers are alike, and you know Paulino and Valerio don't get to their levers and don't get to their pitches the same even remotely. But when you compare their prospect value, I mean, pretty similar. Both have huge fastballs. They both have one off-speed pitch that I think is playable at the moment. And otherwise, you know, it's just a matter of waiting. Um, 
Paulino is a, is a little bit older than Valerio is. He can move a little quicker through the organization, I think, because he's got a head start. But Valerio, I think, has the higher ceiling. He's 18 years old. He throws 101 miles an hour on occasion. He's 6'4", 220. I mean, he's a guy that I think could pop, like a Carlos Hernandez who comes in from the DSL, from the AZL, and jumps right into the top 30 because he just dominated with a fastball at the lower levels. Paulino, I think, is a reliever long-term. I mean, he's got a really good fastball and a really good changeup. But um, a couple of young Latin arms that I think, you know, this time next year, if they progress the way we think they're going to progress, we're looking at two bona fide top 30 prospects in this organization. Um, part of that based on guys ahead of them that will graduate. Part of that would due to the fact that, you know, um, they're going to they're gonna finally get time. And it's it's similar situation for – the guy who we've got at number 42, John McMillan, the whammer. Um, Triple-digit fastball, one big off-speed pitch. This guy's a definite reliever. Um, we just never got to saw him and never got to see him pitch in 2020. So, um, you know, three guys there, you know, all kind of they're in a, in a similar grouping that um, I think 2021, getting to see them pitch a little bit live and in games is going to be – um, a really good opportunity for them to in, infuse some helium into their prospect value. Absolutely. I think when you see a guy like Valerio early on, I mean, 6'4", 220, 18 years old, like that's a good enough body to see, okay, there's going to be something there. And then throwing, you know, a casual 98 to 101, I mean, that's unfair to begin with. But that's, you know, that's still pretty raw as well. And to have at least one pitch right now that you can go to after that with a curveball, uh, he's really intriguing to me when I when I read your list and looked at it, I went, yeah, I think I think that's a dude that's going to be a, a you know a helium riser pretty quickly, especially if we, we can see him in Columbia or something like that. Even if it's out of the bullpen, uh, you get him early on. That's that's a guy that I think is going to move up pretty damn quick. There's a guy at 40 I wanted to bring up, and I don't know. I've never seen the kid live. I, I did get a video um, sent to me from a. Um, from a buddy that had a, had a whole bullpen of Ryland Kaufman on last, last summer before he had had surgery, or maybe this was late 2019 that he had surgery. Um, but Ryland Kaufman at number 40 pitches like, I mean, he, he moves a little bit more like Daniel Lynch and Austin Cox, but he pitches a little bit like Austin Cox where it was a power fastball in the lower to mid nineties where, you know, Cox can run it up to 96, 97, but he pitches 93, 94. Um, so they have the ability to pitch with a power fastball in the lower to mid-90s and then an absolute monster of a curveball. Um, Ryland Coffin's curveball has registered over 3,000 RPMs with, um, you know, re repeatedly when he's healthy. Can't get him healthy, though. And, th and that's the thing is I've got him at 40 there, and you could argue that some of these other guys that have pitched have – you know, deserve to be ahead of him. But, man, a lot of those guys behind him don't have the talent that he does, too. And, you know, he's still a kid. I know he went to a JUCO, so technically he was a college kid. But he was um, an early register into that JUCO. So he was actually drafted at 18 years old, just like a normal high school age, with a year of JUCO at Sand Jack under his belt. So um, quickly wanted to mention Rylan Kaufman there. I think he's a guy that is easy to forget. But he's a guy that, too, I mean, if he's healthy even a little bit and, and just pitches, I don't care what the results look like. He's going to move up my list just that he can prove that he's healthy. 
Travis, did you get to see Rylan at all in person? Is that I saw he was I didn't. I, no, okay. I, I see he's throwing pretty limited. I watched the video you guys posted, but yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue with what you said. It's, you know, health's always a concern with somebody coming off an injury like that. Yeah, well, Joel at 38, we got your guy, Oklahoma State Cowboy John Heasley. I noticed the other day that either, man, I can't remember who it was. I think it was Keith Law. Keith Law has John Heasley at number nine on his Royals prospects list. We've got him down at 38, mostly because I think he's a reliever long-term. Like, I mean, if he was I – mean, I don't know. He reminds me a little bit of a better Glenn Sparkman where I think he could give you some innings in the rotation if you needed it. I think he's a reliever long-term. I think his stuff plays up in the bullpen. And I don't want to scare anybody by talking about Glenn Sparkman. He is better than Glenn Sparkman, I think. But also, I think he's going to be a reliever. And with a mid-90s fastball as a reliever, you know, 38 feels a little low even now looking at it. But um, I, I don't regret that too much. But he's a guy that if he goes to double A this year and pitches well, I, I could see his name being thrown in there with the Jonathan Bolins and the Will Kleins of the world just because his spin rates are really, really good. Um, Joel, you got to see him at Oklahoma State. Um, make, a, make a pitch for your guy, John Heasley. Yeah, Heasley's been one of – Heasley's my dude. I, I, you know, I've become good friends with him since he's gone into the Royals organization. But, you know, he's a guy that, interestingly enough, when he got drafted, I, before I even started at Royals Farm, I was talking to either you or Pat about this is a guy that I, I got to see quite a bit and thought, okay – this, you know, he's got a little, you know, pretty good sync to his fastball. He can run it up there a little bit, a really nice curve, decent enough change. And this, he has all the makings to think of a big league reliever. And he started in Lexington was really solid. And I, I, you know, I think he had a good year there. I think he was going to have a good year in Wilmington had the season last year not been canceled. But I do think you're right. I think this is a guy that is going to give you endings out of the bullpen. He'll be a, a decent swing guy if you really need him to be, but a guy that can give you two to three innings out of the bullpen if you really need it. Uh, th this is a guy that has a lot of promise, I think. And obviously there's a little bit of Oklahoma State bias in there, but I wouldn't be saying it if I didn't believe it. Uh, he's, he's a kid that's going to be really fun to watch over the next couple of years, I think. And I think, that, like I said, I think there, like you said, I think there's a decent chance if the Royals need him in a pinch, can probably go up and give you at least a couple innings out of the bullpen if you really need it. I, I really like what I see out of him. And obviously he's one of my buddies, so I'm going to root for him, you know, as much as I possibly can. Yeah, I'm I'm real big on Heasley too. You know, he and no one ever, you know, I know you said was it Law that was that high on him? I think so. Yeah. Uh, you know, this kid's very athletic. You know, I always had him as like a fifth starter on like a good team. And, you know, I I think he's likely to be that swing guy, but you know, for how athletic he is, I wouldn't be surprised if he somehow, you know, managed two or three more miles an hour on the fastball. You know, I've seen him two starts. You know, he never has the same secondary pitch on for him that day, it seems like. Um, yeah, I think it's likely he's that swing guy, but I'm not counting out, you know, rotation for him quite yet. He, he def I, think he, I think you're a little low on him. I think he's going to be up there higher next year for sure. Yeah, I agree. I'll be honest, Alex. Well, I think I had him in my top 20 when I, uh, when I did our list. I think I was the only dude that was really high on him. Uh, 
but I think again, there's there's a little bit of bias in there, which I I will willingly admit. But what's funny about him is when he got into the Royals org, I saw that he was up to about 95, 96 with his fastball at times, which was surprising to me because when I went and watched him play, I saw like 88, 89. And I was saying, okay, maybe he just jumped up. Like, where did that come from? Turns out the gun at Alley P was like minus five. So that did me no favors trying to figure anything out. Uh, hopefully with the new stadium, we don't have to run into that issue. Uh, but yeah, maybe, maybe I'm an idiot. Maybe I should have asked somebody, but that was definitely surprising. But with the way that dude spins the ball, it's not surprising at all. Yeah, and he's, he's a guy I think I could get behind a little more if I, if I believe in the levers. So when I when we talk about who's at number thirty five, it's going to matter because at number thirty five we got Noah Murdoch. Noah Murdoch has not made it to low A just yet. Noah Murdoch isn't the polished pitcher that John Heasley is yet, but Noah Murdoch is six eight, and this dude has got some funk from a six eight, big lanky right handed pitcher. Um, he absolutely dominated his first go round um, of rookie ball back in twenty nineteen when he was drafted. 2.170 RA, 43 strikeouts in 37 innings. Um, he's still 22 years old. And if this kid goes to Columbia or even if they start him at Quad Cities, I don't think I realized – I just don't know that I realized how good this kid was. Like, he was drafted out of Virginia, if I remember correctly. And Virginia has got a way of screwing up their pitchers. So maybe that in the back of my head, that's kind of what was holding me back on Murdoch. Man, this kid can really throw the baseball. And right now, I think his I think his curveball is too inconsistent for me to really want me to, to want to put him in the top twenty five. Um, and that's why we've got guys like Christian Chamberlain and Drew Parrish right in front of him at number thirty three and number thirty four. But if he can learn to land his curveball with consistency, and I'm talking real consistency, where he's always got a one two punch. I think he can start all the way through the big leagues. Now, he may not because the Royals are just stacked with starting pitchers. But, like, where Drew Parrish and Christian Chamberlain, I think, are more likely relievers, I also think they're more likely a stick than Murdoch is the moment. But there's that caveat there where Chamberlain and Parrish have the floor because they're more polished, they're better pitchers, they, they land their curveballs with a much higher frequency. But if, if any of those three right there in that grouping are going to be starters, it's going to be Murdoch and, you know – Maybe he doesn't make it past double A, but anytime you can get a kid that can pop 95 and a 6.8, I mean, that, that, that's never something that you would turn down as a professional organization, even if it never works out. That's, it's a really fun piece to have there at the back end, of the middle of the 30s. Yeah, and Murdoch's a guy for me that, you know, I only saw, I saw him for a brief outing, and I thought he had bullpen written all over him. You know, he couldn't locate the fastball at all, and when it was a strike, it was – you know, middle, middle, it just didn't seem like he had enough command for me. You know, all the other stuff's great. Like, you know, I personally think uh, Heasley's got a, a much higher chance of staying as a starter, but uh, I can definitely see what you like about Murdoch. I just, you know, only seen him for a two-inning outing, and it wasn't great outing. Hard to be too high on the guy. Sure. And, and that is the thing with Murdoch. He's going to have to fix his – you know, you hate to just keep throwing on the word pitchability, but his, I mean, his ability to command his fastball and, you know, from what I've seen, the fastball maybe is a, a control over command pitch. I've never seen him have, str have struggles missing the zone repeatedly. Um, but the curveball, the curveball would have, he'd have, he'd throw three really good ones and three that never came close to the strike zone. So learning how to land that pitch. Um, 
as we get closer to number 30, we got two position players um, to round out the 30s. At number 32, Michael Massey. Number 31, Tucker Bradley. These are two, both of them, I think, could either be in the top 15 of our list next preseason. They could be right where they are. They could be totally out of the rankings. Like, I, I can't get a gauge on either of them, partially because Michael Massey was hurt a little bit at Burlington, and Tucker Bradley didn't get to play last year because of COVID. Tucker Bradley came out of nowhere. He missed his real junior season uh, at Georgia in his redshirt junior year. Tucker Bradley was absolutely crushing the baseball. I mean, to a point where if Tucker Bradley plays an entire spring in 2020, there's a 0% chance he goes undrafted, even if it was only five rounds. He's a top three, top four round pick. Um, if he continued hitting like that, I mean, he, I mean, God, he could have had helium like we saw in Hunter Bishop. I don't want to go as high as like number five all the way to Jonathan India because I think that was a little bit of a difference there. Um, but Hunter Bishop worked his way into the first round. And, man, I, I hate to say that Tucker Bradley could have done it, but he was crushing the baseball. I, I don't know what those two are going to be. Honestly, God, I have no idea how to gauge what their future value is going to look like. But they both have the ability to be in our top 15 just as much as they could both be entirely off of this list as we head into 2022. Yeah, and so Massey, we, Massey's a guy – he's the only guy I've seen out of the guys you just talked about. And he DH'd for two games during the series, so I didn't see him a whole lot. I thought he stayed in there well against – you know, I just have written down – did he hit three left good left-handed pitchers well? So – you know, didn't see him in the field. I have a 50 on his raw power, and, you know, that's all I can give you on those guys. I got you. The, um, I think Bradley is probably the interesting guy out of those two just because he's, def- he's a, it's a lottery ticket type of guy because he had the little, you know, the little pop there for the, the shortened college season. You were able to get him for one thing cheaper, but also – you didn't even, he wasn't even drafted, but the small sample you got is what you think he possibly, you know, possibly could be to a certain extent. If he pops, then the Royals got a steal. And it seems like they did a fantastic job in the UDFA department with some of the guys they've gotten. And there's a couple of guys who I think are even higher on this list from that, just the UDFA class, not even the five dudes that they actually drafted. So you're, it'll be interesting to see what you get out of a guy like that. I said, it feels kind of like an all or nothing, you, you know, lottery ticket type, but if you can get the most out of a guy like Tucker Bradley, you know, that's a steal for your system right away. Yeah. And I hate to, I, I am not comparing Tucker Bradley to this player that I'm getting ready to bring up, but the, cause he's, he's smaller. He's not as athletic, but the way he moves, like watching him swing a bat, watching him move around, dude, he reminds me of Jock Peterson and, I watch him swing, and I'm watching the same swing over and over and over again right now as we speak. Same. Dude, it is – I mean, his ability to pull his hands through the zone and control the bat and generate power with his hips, it is very, very much Jock-like. Now, again, he is nowhere near as good as Jock Peterson. I don't mean to imply that in any way. Just his movements, the way he swings the bat, the way that he carries himself, the way he moves around the outfield, you look at him – it's kind of like, am I sure that that's not who I'm watching? Um, so, again, not a comparison at all. But the way he moves, man, I just – I don't know. He's a guy that I would love to watch play Major League Baseball, so I'm going to root for him for no other reason than that. That bat drop on his uh, – the little clip that he posted is at least a 65. Oh, dude, that's a 70-grade bat drop. That is 
that is like Alex Gordon level of the swing never stops. The bat just isn't in his hands anymore. And yeah, that, that he does got a little Alex Gordon in his bat drop there. That is, that is a beautiful thing to see. Um, at number 30, I want to mention this name because the Royals added him to the, to the 40 man roster in the off season, protect him from the rule five left handed pitcher, Angel Zerpa. Um, I think it was JJ Piccolo who's was on eight ten talking about how Angel Zerpa could throw his name up there with the Daniel Lynch's. I'm like, okay, no. Um, you know, I, I don't know who they're trying to sell Angel Zerpa to. He's good. I mean, I, I, I like the pitcher. I think he's a reliever, but he's fine. I have no clue where the idea that he could jump that high is. I haven't seen it. I and they they've seen more than we have because they've seen him at summer camp, but I don't know about all that. I know they've added him to 40 because they didn't want him to go anywhere. Definitely think he can pitch in the big leagues as a reliever. But he reminds me more of like a um, – oh, who was that kid that gave up the um, the Kendrys Morales single against Houston game for the ALDS? It was like Sip? kid's Tony, name. Tony Sip? Yeah. I mean, he reminds me more of like a Tony Sip than he does a Daniel Lynch. I don't know where – I don't know where that, that perspective comes from, but here's the thing. If I'm right, whatever. If the Royals are right and they have another left-handed pitcher that's that good, uh, we are in great shape. So we don't got to spend a lot of time talking about him. Just wanted to mention him because at number 29 is our guy, the one and only friend of the show, Vinny Pasquantino. We are going to be the only publication that mentions this dude anywhere near their top 50, much less their top 30. Call me crazy, but don't call me for dinner. Vinny Pasquantino is going to be a top 20 prospect in this organization by the end of 2021. That will be clipped and held on to for sure. Uh, you don't... hold on to that one. Stick it in your back pocket. I don't I, – I, Joe, we talked about this the, when the Royals drafted him in 2019, and we talked about it briefly even after the podcast episode we recorded that day. If you just looked at a hitter and you were like, okay, what are the first five things you notice about the hitter? What, what are some things you look for? What are some things that you want? Um, you know, does he take his hands to the pitch? Like, is he going to make a lot of contact? Vinny Pasquantino is all hands in his swing. Does he have an immense amount of raw power? Vinny Pasquantino is a, is a mammoth of a human being. He's a big kid. All he's got to do is poke the ball. I mean, he drives the ball with authority naturally. And then does he have the plate discipline to continue forward? He doesn't chase. Like, he, he – his hit tool is a little – like, I mean, he swings and misses a little bit. But he doesn't chase. He's got great discipline for the plate. Now, we watched him play – I watched, um, like, three or four different at-bats in a game against Western Kentucky. And then there was another game – Oral Roberts comes to mind. I don't know that it was Oral Roberts. For some reason, that's who it was in my head. But whoever it was, watched a couple different games, and then I watched um, as much video as I could find when he was in Burlington. Man, like, I don't know what he's going to do in terms of can he catch up to a 98-mile-an-hour fastball with consistency. You know, I, I don't know because we haven't been able to see it. We haven't seen that competition. But he was a part of Royal Summer Camp in Kansas City this year. And, you know, the reports on him weren't Daniel Lynch type of reports. But he wasn't getting the constant, you know, like with some of those younger guys, it's, you know, they got to keep working. They just got to keep doing what they're doing. It wasn't that either. So 
I think that the Royals probably have him starting the year between Columbia and the Quad Cities. And if you can add a big power left-handed bat to a system that really – I'm scrolling through really quick. Unless Nick Prado and MJ Melendez make a comeback, he's it. And especially for being his age, um, you, we'll see. But he's a guy that I don't know why I'm high on him other than when I watch the swing – I see a top 30 prospect in this, in this specific system with a chance to hit 30 home runs in the big leagues. Yeah, he's – and I think he's even shortened up that swing a little bit and is starting to get even, to even faster with his hands, generate more power. He sent me a clip from Instructs down in Arizona where he just walloped a ball, and it was just short to the ball, long through it, and it just sailed. And he was able to sit there and watch it. And he told me hitting a baseball that far, it feels like freedom. And I won't blame him for that at all. Uh, but no, he, he's – and I think part of it too, he's an easy dude to root for as well. He's just genuinely a good dude. He's the type of guy that's in the Royals organization that you expect to be in the organization from just a person perspective outside of baseball. But the on-field production speaks for itself, at least early on. And I want to see him succeed. And I said, I think we're higher on him than anybody else. But – if he pops again in 2021, and I think he would have really popped in 2020 had there been a season, but if he can do what he did in Burlington and Columbia, it wouldn't be surprising we see him in Quad Cities pretty early and maybe even further. Travis, you seen any of any? I have. I saw him in Burlington. Um, I cannot argue with you at all that the guy can hit and uh, all that. I have future, you know, 60 raw on him at least. Like you said, he's a big guy. Uh, I try not to fall too in love with first base prospects that you're no old for rookie ball and they perform in 57 games. You know, he might, he could be the best hitter on that team, but he's going to have to continue slugging 500 plus, you know, I don't know. I try not to sound like too much of like a grizzly vet, but it's just always hard to get too excited about a first base prospect. Uh, but yeah, you know, if the Royals hit on a first baseman that hits 30 home runs in the big league, which I'm a little skeptical of, that but uh you know that's a that's a steal obviously um i'm just not i'd like to see him do it against a little older competition before i get too excited but you know i definitely he deserves to make this list for sure and, and i think there's by the way the if there's a 10 percent chance that he's a top 20 prospect in the system at the end of the year there's a 10 percent chance that we don't talk about him anymore after this year either like if he goes out there and his power is zapped and they're, you know, the deadened ball or whatever. Um, there's an equally good chance that he falls off the rankings and it was a fun year and a half and we don't talk about him anymore. But man, I just, when you watch a guy swing, there's nothing fancy to it. There's nothing. I mean, there is, there's nothing fancy to what's going on there. It's just a big guy using his hands to hit baseballs a long way. And you know, if, if that's, if it's as good as it looks, which it almost never is. Um, like you said, it is a steal. Um, for the Royals in the 11th round, I believe, of that 2019 draft. Um, yeah, for how really big he is, though, he does play first base. He does handle himself all right over there. So it's not like he's just a donkey over there either. And he, yeah. he, sent me, he also sent me a video that he stole a base in, um, in Instructs, which I think he said it's the first time he's done that since he was like a freshman or sophomore in college. He was the only dude in Burlington that didn't at all. Uh, that year so he 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 made fun of himself for being slow when we interviewed him after that 2019 season so that that was a little fun bit when he sent me it happened on uh, while he was down at instructs yeah hey quick question uh 
Zerpa, I'm with you guys on him. I saw pure reliever. You know, I well, he was at summer camp, correct? Because he was on the 40 man. So, yeah. Did you, I mean, do you guys get video of any of that? Because, you know, when he got added to the 40 man, I was very surprised. You know, I maybe they, like I said, they obviously have seen him a lot more than I have, but yeah, I think they'd have been safe not protecting him. But yeah, and part of it too is like, it, 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 I think one of the things that we're, we're behind on in the scouting community is the ability to understand deception. And, you know, scouts for a long time have, have made the case, well, it's deceptive, it's funky, it's this, it's, it's hard to pick up. Well, you can't quantify that. And so I don't blame, like, the, the analytical community, and I don't even blame front offices for not putting all their eggs in a funky basket. Um, but when you look at a guy like Richard Lovelady, even – his extension is elite. Travis, you kind of turned me on to that idea that the, the extension Lovelady gets on the mound is elite. Um, and there's enough funk behind the pitch that even if Lovelady's pitches themselves in a, in a Rapsodo vacuum aren't that filthy, the delivery is going to help those pitches. Angel Zerpa is like the total opposite of that. His pitches are great. I mean, they're fine. But there is no deception to his delivery, and I'm like – he might get negative extension. I don't, I, I don't know. We don't have that big league data to look up yet. Um, it just doesn't look like something that you would be afraid of as a left-handed hitter. So, man, I don't know. I mean, maybe he is. Maybe he's great. But No, I'm, I'm, with, I'm with you, man. Like, teams now, for the exact reason that you just said, that deception can't be quantified since there's so much analytics and stuff in today's game. If you're, with, if you're a scout with an MLB organization today, it is beaten to your head that the most – one of the most important grades you turn in for a pitcher, it better be deceptive. You better pay attention to that because you're our only source for that. Because, you know, they collect those scouting reports and just use them as data. So that, that deception grade is incredibly important for, you know, anybody out there looking at stuff. But I'm for with sure. you. I, had, I have a 40 deception on him. I, unless, I don't know if he's changed something or I missed something. but Yeah. So as we get into number 29 with Pasquin Twink, Pasquantino, all the way down. The next 13 prospects on this list, down to number 17, MJ Melendez. 12 of them are position players, which in this system is kind of wild. Uh, the only exception is Jeffrey Del Rosario. Um, I'll run you through them real quick. 28, Sebastian Rivero, a catcher. We know elite defender. The Royals think he's adding on offensively. I want to see it first. 27, Woman Candelario. 26, Jason Guzman, Brady McConnell, Brewer Hicklin, Nick Prado, Michael Garcia. 21, Nick Heath, Kale Emshoff. Uh, 19, Del Rosario. 18, Daryl Collins. And 17, MJ Melendez. There's an interesting stretch right here in the middle where we go 26, shortstop. 25, shortstop. 24, um, I'm sorry, we got three shortstop there. 27, 26, 25, and then another one at 22. All of these guys for their entire careers are going to be chasing the likes of Bobby Witt Jr. and of Adalberto Mondesi. So really what they're playing for is kind of the title of the next guy. Um, if you look at a guy like Jason Guzman and Brady McConnell, I am more scared of their bust, their bust factor than their boom failure. In the case of Wilman Candelario and of Michael Garcia, I am more excited about their boom factor than their bust factor. Travis, I know in your pref list you sent me, you have Brady McConnell, or you had, I'm sorry, 
this was a couple years ago, or I'm sorry, this was last year after we hadn't seen anybody for a while. Um, but you had Brady McConnell at number 10. What is, what, what makes you so confident in Brady McConnell? You know, I just think it's a swing that is, you know, is very oriented towards putting the ball in the air. He's athletic enough and strong enough to hit it out of the park. I think, I think power is going to be in his future. Uh, I'm not so sold that the glove sticks it short. And if it does, it's going to be a fringe glove there. You're always going to want a better guy at short than him. But I always, you know, I think he's going to be a very good utility infielder one day that can, you know, play shortstop for a few days a week if you need it. Then you'd prefer him over at second or third. Uh, but, you know, I know he has some swing and miss, and he's, he's had some contact issues. But I just like the swing. It's very fluid. He's very athletic. He handles himself in the box very well. And, you know, I think he's going to tap into some power. Yeah, I, I was able to watch McConnell. Uh, I watched him for one series down at uh, University of Missouri for uh, – it was probably like right around the end of – middle of May uh, before the draft. And I liked what I saw. I think he's super athletic. Um, but I, I just don't know at this point. It still felt weird that the Royals drafted him. From what I heard, they were really the only team in on him uh, as a draft-eligible sophomore. So it was still – I think it was still think there's a lot of questions about him, but I, I, I don't doubt the athleticism. I think the swing is there. Uh, I think it's just a matter of getting things right. And if he sticks at shortstop, great. Uh, I know there was even some rumors that he was going to go to the outfield for a little bit. Uh, but we still know a lot about him because he, he played a little bit in rookie ball and then we didn't hear much about him in spring training. So I'll be curious what 2021. And I think that's like. where you're going to get the most value out of him is that he can, he could definitely go to the outfield. And if you need him to play out there, he could, I don't think, you know, if the Royals plan on being in contention for, you know, the, the top of the standings when he's at the big league level, he's not going to be a starter, an everyday starter. He's going to be, you know, the guy you want first off the bench to go play wherever so I, I do want to mention this, Travis. I want to get your thoughts on this. So Brady McConnell is almost 23 years old. He'll be 23 in May. Um, Brady McConnell, his sophomore year at Florida, um, remember he was 21 years old back then, so he was a draft-eligible sophomore, posted a 961 OPS. He had 15 home runs in 11 doubles in 59 games. His strikeout rate, was 22%. He didn't walk a lot, right under 7%. So that's a 244 ISO, um, 22 strikeout rate, 22% strikeout rate, 7%, we'll call it walk rate. 15 home runs, and um, look at the stolen bases here. Sorry, I'm running through a baseball cube. I'm not as familiar. Uh, it's six that year. Six stolen bases. Okay. So we had a uh, kid that used to write for us, and I, he's still invited to the site anytime if Marcus, you're listening to this. Um, but he doesn't write as much anymore. But he wrote in 2019 an article that blew my brain and said that if Brady McConnell goes back to Florida for his junior season, and he goes out there and improves on a 15 home run, 961 OPS season, cuts his strikeout rate down to like 19 to 20%, hits 20 home runs, with 15 to 20 doubles, maybe he steals 10 bags, has a, a, an OPS over 1,000. He's a first-round pick. He's a bona fide first-round pick, and the, there's no way the Royals can get him and, um, well, they ended up getting Asa Lacey at number four overall. There's just no way the Royals get both of them. So 
Marcus's whole take on this was, look, yeah, they got him in the second round, and he'll take, or he'll take a little bit longer to develop. But they got a guy who, if he goes back to Florida and plays like that in the SEC again, he is going to be a first-round pick. No ifs, ands, or buts, and there's no way you'd ever get him again. Yeah, and, you know, I see it. It's just, you know, I wish I had a little more, you know, data on him and all that, and it's seen him more than four or five games. Uh, but, you know, he just stuck out on that. I mean, there weren't, there weren't a lot of guys on that Idaho Falls team, but uh, so maybe that's why he stuck out a little more. But I just I, – I think he's a guy that's going to move quick if, you know, he fixes those contact issues. And I, I'm, I'm going to bet on him. Yeah, and, and that's the thing with McConnell is the athlete is a good bet. Um, I, I, you know, sometimes when you're, when you're gauging hit tool, there, there's a difference between the ability to make contact with pitches that are in the zone and chasing so many pitches that you're – um, you know, your hit tool looks worse because you have terrible plate discipline. And when it comes to a guy like Bobby Witt Jr., I think it was a little bit of the latter um, when he was in Arizona. And so, like, I don't worry about Bobby Witt Jr. hitting strikes. I worry a little bit about Bobby Witt Jr. narrowing his strike zone down, and I think he's done that. With Brady McConnell, I worry about both. He looked to me like he chased a few too many pitches and had a you know, swung and missed at a few too many strikes. We'll see. I'm glad. I'm glad you're high on him um, because the, the the next guy I want to get your take on is a guy that I'm also not very high on, and Jason Guzman. Where the Royals, very similar similarly to Angel Zerpa, put him on the forty to protect him, gave him a chance at the big leagues last year. He was just up to to back up, but he's a guy that I don't I don't get it. I, I get the tools, and and much like Brady McConnell, where the tools are definitely there. Jason Guzman started switch hitting again. That, to me, Travis, the fact that he picked up switch hitting heading into his sixth professional season doesn't scream a vote of confidence for me. In fact, it makes me even a little more worried about his approach to the plate. Yeah, and I, I'm just not sold on the bat on either side of the plate, but I think he's, you know, a 60-grade defensive shortstop at the big league level now. I mean, he can really pick it. He's got a big-time arm, and I think that's where all his value is going to be for the duration of his career. Um, you know, I wish him well on the switch hitting. I, I'm not sold on it, but he's going to have a spot in the big leagues because of the glove, and he's going to be able to play everywhere very well. So let me ask you this then, the 33 errors – I, like, I know errors are a bad stat. Like, I'm, I'm in no way am I saying errors the end-all, be-all. But they speak a little bit to when I see a, a, a total recklessness at the position that, you know, the, the athleticism flashes. He will make plays that nobody else can make. And he'll also boot plays that my junior in high school is going to make consistently um, this spring. So th does, the, does the recklessness, the kind of the, you know, the, the arid part of that, defense does that worry you at all no I mean part of that tells me he's getting to a lot of balls um you know I saw him in Lexington and it was just lights out defense you know he was also 20 years old uh you know if I've I haven't seen many kids in college what is that a sophomore college sophomore I don't there's maybe a few kids a year that can pick it like that and they're in college and you know I'm sold on the glove I know the errors don't worry me at all Okay. 
Well, I'm glad to hear you say that because, you know, I was – I kind of I kind of see him as a center fielder maybe or maybe like a left fielder or maybe even a third baseman moving forward. But if, if you're sold on the glove, that makes me feel better. Because- Before we get into the front half of our top 50, we will have it a quick break. We'll be right back. All right, Alex and Travis, let's talk about uh, – let's go to number 23 here on our list. It's Nick Prado, uh, you know, struggled in low A and high A, at least for the first part of the year, and then found some flashes of kind of something good uh, toward the back half of the season. But he's moved down on our list essentially every time that we've done one, uh, midseason and postseason. So, Travis, what, what do you think about, about a guy like Prado? Can he improve? Do you still think he, there's a possibility of a big leaguer somewhere in there? Um, yeah, because, um, you know, the swing – aesthetically is still pleasing it's a good looking swing the problem just seems to be that he gets beat in the zone too often and he you know chases a little too often and you know he just hasn't performed in game action so it's really hard to be high on a guy that you've never seen be successful and has no data to say that but with that being said if you were to go to just a round of batting practice and all that he would stick out for you know how good his swing looks but you know it's not tremendously good bat speed it's average um you know obviously the glove's great but you never want the glove to be the first thing you talk about with a first base prospect but just i'm gonna be cautiously optimistic with him i've always had him as just you know triple a depth from after that first year he struggled like i said he just hasn't shown me anything to latch on to like yeah he he here if I was going to coach Nick Prado and try to give him a suggestion, he needs to go from a guy that tries to hit like Cody Bellinger to a guy who tries to hit like, I don't want to say Nicky Lopez, but sort of like his raw power will carry his swing to a, you know, 30 to 40 double season if his approach is more Nicky product or I'm sorry, Nicky Lopez than it is Cody Bellinger, but at his best, I can see a little Billy Butler in there where he's hitting, you know, only like 15 home runs, but there's a 40 double guy in there. But the advantage is he's an elite defender. And like you said, Travis, I'm not going to put a bunch of eggs into a defensive first baseman's basket, but um, the Royals seem to still be high on him. And I, you know, they see a lot more of them than I do, so we'll see. I think even Keith Law maybe had him at number 10 still, you know, hmm. said that there's there's a chance that he's fixed some things that he needed to work on, so we'll see. But, um, you know, there's your 2017 first-round pick. All right, Alex, I'm curious, like, the difference between a guy like Jason Guzman or Michael Garcia, who's 22 – uh, and only 20 years old. What what was the, the deciding factor there? Uh, Michael Garcia for me is a phenomenal athlete, and he is still 20 years old. Like, he's only a few months older than Bobby Witt Jr. Um, he's a phenomenal athlete. He can run like hell. He is a wonderful defender at shortstop, and his offensive approach is just safer than Guzman. Now, Guzman is significantly louder. He'll hit for more power if he hits. I don't think my, there's a question whether or not Michael Garcia will hit. Is it's just really going to be a – does he hit like Hanser Alberto where he's hitting 
you know, with an 050 ISO for most of his career, but you get the advantage of potential gold glove defense up the middle. And if he can develop any power, I mean, that's really all we're waiting for. Michael Garcia, if he develops any semblance of power, this kid is going to be a top 15, top 12 prospect in our system. There's the issue of always going to be in the shadow of Bobby Wood Jr. And if he moves to second base, he loses some of that value. I don't think he's big enough, strong enough to play third base yet. Could he play center field? Maybe. I think long-term there's a chance he could play a good center field. Um, but right now, as he's playing shortstop, love the glove there. I, I love the kid. Um, so I, I'm, I'm excited to see him move up where Jason Guzman at this point, he's been, elite, he's been in professional baseball for six years. Like it's time for him to perform or get off the pot, so to speak. Yeah, Michael Garcia, I think, you know, the best shortstop outside of Witt in this system, for sure the highest ceiling. Um, you know, when I saw him, I was kind of out on him when I saw him in Burlington because he had this step in the, the bucket swing because apparently he got hit in the face not long ago, uh, like two years ago. And he's, you know, maybe, I don't know. I don't, I'm not going to speak for him, but – he was like stepping in the bucket noticeably, but every time it was just hard contact to center and right field every time. And I think he's going to hit for enough power to be, I always carried him as an average big league shortstop in the future, uh, which, you know, is tough to do. Um, I'm in on him. I, I would just like to see what he would do if he didn't just noticeably step in the bucket, but if it works, I guess don't fix it. For sure. And, Travis, I know you were telling us um, before we started recording that you hadn't seen a lot of the 2020 draftees. Well, this guy wasn't drafted, but he did come out of college in 2020. The reason I'm going to ask you about him is he played at Arkansas Little Rock. And then, Joel, I'm going to get your take on him. I've got Kale Emshoff. Uh, I don't know how you pronounce it. Is it Emshoff? Is it Emshoff? I don't know. The catcher out of uh, UA Little Rock at number 20. I think this kid is going to sneak up these boards because he is a wonderful defender. He is phenomenal behind the plate. And he's got a little Michael Amodi in his swing where I think it's grooved power more than it is natural handsy power. But he gets to it often enough for it to matter. And he doesn't strike out a ton. And I think he could be very much – equally valuable as Cam Gallagher or even better than Cam Gallagher, where even if he's not, you know, an all-star starter, I think he's a surefire big leaguer so long as he has a normal progression through minor league baseball. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely with you. I, I just saw the video you guys posted. Um, it's definitely a groove swing. My only concern is there going to be enough groove pitches in professional baseball, but you know, a power hitting catcher, that's uh, elite defense, maybe short on the hit tool. You know, you hope for like a Mike Zanino, I guess. Um, you know, I'm all in on that kind of player. Uh, elite, you had you had me sold at elite defender for a catcher. That's, you know, that's obviously 90% of the care in a catching prospect. Yeah, sure. I, I'm going to worry a lot more about the defense than I am anything. I think if you can get an elite defender, then you take whatever you get with the bat and you move on. Uh, yeah, again, a great, like you talk about groove power. Uh, another guy that was an Oklahoma State guy that I got to watch and become friends with, Colin Thoreau, who is a prospect of the Oakland A's right now. You know, he's a dude that's not going to hit for damn near anything, but he's one of the best defensive catchers, you know, that I've at least seen in college and is really good in that Oakland A system to where they pretty much told him you can hit a buck 80 in AAA and we'll call you up to the majors because you're that. Oh, guy. yeah. Um, 
But again, if, if you're a guy like Emshaw, then you can open up that swing a little bit, start to get to a little bit more than just a fastball belt high, then you're going to prove your value even faster than that. So I, I like where you have him right now at 20, and it wouldn't surprise me if by midseason he's in the top 15 if he can continue to improve on what we've seen. Because I think what we have saw out of 2020, and again, he was a UDFA, which I think is a huge credit to the Royal Scouting Department to be able to get some of these guys as, mu- as well as they did out of the UDFA class. Uh, I, I like what I see out of Emshoff to this point. Like I said, I think it wouldn't surprise me if he's top 15 by midseason. So while we're on the topic of elite defenders behind home plate with groove swings, that number 17, MJ Melendez. MJ Melendez is a guy that I argued for a couple of years was the number one or number two prospect in the system. And it's Hell, like we, ha- we had him number one. I know. It is the most is the most frustrating thing. It's almost like when someone is – he's a kid, and I don't mean to, like, make this his fault or, like, speak negatively of the kid, but it's almost like a too smart for your own good where it's like I know he knows what he needs to work on, and it's almost just like it's not clicking properly. Um, he did, I believe, work a little bit with Mike Tosar in Miami or in the Florida area um, last off season. So I would have really liked to have seen in 2020 what he could have done uh, when given the chance to maybe repeat at high A or even take a chance at double A. What we know, the arm is elite. I don't want to give it an 80 grade because it's hard to give anything an 80 grade. MJ Melendez is close to an 80 grade arm as you would give a catcher without giving him an 80 grade arm. He frames pitches okay. If they ever bring in a automated strike zone, the kid's an 80-grade catcher, full stop. The only real knock I have on him is his ability to handle pitchers and maybe frame. Um, otherwise, defensively, kid is a wizard. And the Royals have like two of those guys, one in Sebastian Rivera, where, um, you know, Melinda is a little more of a loose cannon. But, my gosh, man, it is so – I've never seen a high school um, age catcher defend like he does so effortlessly and so athletically. It's so much fun to watch. The swing, holy cow. It's like he's swinging at the same pitch every time. If the pitcher happens to drop it over the middle of the plate, he's good. And if it's high, he is just totally screwed. So, um, I, I, I've heard that he's made some changes to his swing. He's such an intelligent kid. His dad is a coach. Like, I know they know what changes to make. I just want to see him. Like, I want to see these changes happen so that I can put him back in my top five again. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't think he's going to be in your top five again. Um, it's always just been, like you said, a groove swing that's long. It's got a lot of length. And he, I, the bat speed's never really popped out. I'm with you on the arm. Uh, I just don't think the bat's going to come. And I think he's going to be average at best as a receiver, you know, barring the automated strike zone. Um, I think he's a backup catcher in you know, the future. I think that's the, the role he's going to have. So, Travis, if you had to pick Emshoff or Melendez moving forward, who's your – who's your how old's Emshaw? Uh, I believe he's 21. Melendez is, what, 21, 22? Uh, sh- I think this Yeah, by, by now. He's 20, yeah, he's a 2017 draft pick, so he probably is. I mean, if you're – and Emshoff has, like, elite receiving skills. I don't I think we know call enough. elite – I wouldn't say it's elite, but he is uh, probably on the same level in terms of, like, receiving as Melendez. Melendez, I mean, honestly, if, you, if you're comparing – flip a coin. 
Melinda's and M's off are, are fairly similar. Melinda's is just infinitely more athletic. Yeah, then probably Melendez. Um, yeah, just not seeing M's off at all. Okay. So then I don't want to spend all night. I could spend all night talking about these guys. Let's move quickly to the college pitchers because we got a lot of them, and then I want to end on the younger outfielders. Um, Travis, you get your choice of three of the college pitchers to take with you long-term to a new organization. Your options are Daniel Lynch, Asa Lacey, Jackson Kowar, Austin Cox, Alec Marsh, John Bolin, uh, Will Klein, who we are way higher on than most people will be, I think, Zach Hockey, and, yeah, we'll end it there. You, uh, can you can't, you can't throw Bubik in there? Uh, if you want to put Bubich, Bubich but, and Singer in there, you can. I, I think it's because I'm higher on Bubich than most people, it seems like. Uh, but I would go Lace, Lacey, Lynch, Bubich. Okay. So, if you had to talk about the righties, Will Klein, Jackson Coar, Brady Singer, pick one. Jonathan Bolin, Alec Marsh. Ooh, Singer. Okay. Is this because he's so, a, maybe a safer pick than the other yeah. the other two? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a, overly high on any of them. I, I'm curious. So Alex and I have pretty much driven the Jackson Coar hype train for essentially since the Royals drafted him. What's your take on him? I wish he. You know, if you. So he has very low extension numbers, like well below major league average. So, you know, that 98, 99-mile-an-hour fastball is really like 93, 94 to hitters. He does not have an overly big, you know, missing zone rate on the fastball. And, it like, it's really bad extension. But, you know, the secondary stuff is easy to fall in love with, and I did and am. Um, I, I just think that the ceiling for that's like a, you know, a fourth starter, or you could put him in the back of the bullpen and just say – let it rip, and he might be a closer. Um, you know, the fast the, – I've just never been less excited about a 99-mile-hour fastball. Okay, that's fair. I never even thought about the extension part of this. Really, I mean, it's below – I think it's below six feet. Oh, wow. Okay. He's, yeah, a, exactly. he's a pretty fairly tall guy, so it's in there. Yeah, that's, that's a little weird, yeah. But, no, I think Alex and I talked about that on one of our first episodes back that a guy like Coar – you you let that fastball eat around ninety seven to ninety nine with that absolute bastard of a changeup. Yeah, and that's something that could work out change. of the bullpen. And then if he can make that curveball even serviceable, you essentially have a three pitch back end reliever that can work. Uh, and I don't, I'm not necessarily, not necessarily saying that's his ceiling, but I think that's a role that could work for him. I think the roles are going to ma- let him start at least early, yeah, and they should, and they should, but. If not, then you get someone again. Again, go let ninety nine eat every second or third day with that changeup, and we'll get outs and win games. And I'm okay. And I'm okay with that. And that and that's a role that I don't think is as taboo or as bad as people want to make it out to be. Even you know, ten fifteen years ago, I think that's a role that's important on a team now, especially uh, with the way that you know starters are going not as far into games and things like that. Like you, you love having a dude like Coar that can be a stopper out of the bullpen in that, in that regard. Yeah. You know, I, I would still obviously, like you said, stick with him as a starter and see if he proves me wrong with the fastball. I've, I've seen him for two or three starts. No, the fastball commands always been a little eh. And, you know, 
If he can, if he gets to average command though, with you know that changeup he has in the breaking ball, he's a third, fourth starter. Um, but he's got longer to go, I think, than most for people to have had you know double, significant double A time. For sure, and and that's the thing with with Coar is, you know the, the the even with the volatility of is this fastball going to play up or not? I always thought his floor was incredibly safe. Like there was never a doubt in my mind that there, there still isn't a doubt in my mind that at worst case Jackson Coar is going to be a good big league reliever, which like Joel said is is an underrated, underappreciated uh, thing in this in this game. Where like with Brady Singer, if he doesn't start I don't know what his values like in the bullpen because I don't think there's another level like I don't think he can access 97 all the time in the bullpen I don't think his slider sharp enough where Coar if you unleash him for one inning at a time I think it's 98 99 consistently I think it's that change up and I think he's a very good reliever so that was always kind of my thing with Coar is even if he doesn't reach a ceiling I think his floor is incredibly safe um he's never had in- injuries issues with injuries as far as I'm concerned um, since his sophomore year of college. So um, <clears throat> he's a guy we love. We do have Lynch two, Lacey three, Coar four with Austin Cox, Alec Marsh, Jonathan Bolin rounding out the top 10. Um, All right, Alex, Alex, I do want to go back real quick. So we had Will Klein at number 13. This is kind of your piece. Like you had me talk about Jonathan Heasley earlier you're higher on him than a lot of other publications at this point. Why do you, why did you put him at 13? The fastball. And it's for the same reasons that Travis you know, was talking about that Jackson Coar's fastball won't play up. Will Klein throws a hundred, but his fastball will play up even for the same reasons of he gets phenomenal extension. Like, like it's hard to explain when you're watching a guy, but there's a tweet recently that came out where Will Klein made a couple of adjustments and, through his same delivery with the same foot strike, he's getting the ball out just a split second earlier. He's already flashed 101 with good spin rates. They're not elite spin rates. They're good spin rates. And he's, he's getting better. And I talked to a Royals front office member recently, um, said he competes his ass off. You know, there's something about Will Klein's delivery that when I w- went back and watched him to start to EIU, it's like if he can ever rein in the command even a little bit, he is going to be a starter, and he's going to be really good. Now, even if he can't start, he's a lot like Coar for me where he's going to touch triple digits with a hammer of a breaking pitch, and I think he's going to be good. I, I really don't know how else to describe it other than when I watch him pitch, it's almost like, I can, like you can almost see it. Now, that's not a very good statistically backed answer, um, but he's a guy that where it's like, if you're just going to take my word for it on a guy, if you're going to buy that, if you're going to buy stock in a prospect, just because I think you should, he's my guy. And I think, I think Royals fans are going to be impressed with what they see, um, when he gets a shot at Columbia here in 2021. All right, Travis, I got one more question for you before we wrap this up. Suli Matias, uh, top 10, not top 10. Uh, not top 10. I mean, the power top one, um, but game power, maybe not, you know, he's, he's kind of like Prado, you know, I'll, I'm hoping that it, he taps into it and gives me something to cling on to. Cause I just haven't seen it in games. You know, you go to the field, 
three hours before a game, you're going to get the best show of the day. But, you know, not not when people are paying tickets. Yeah, there's there's one adjustment he's made to his swing that it, he, he used to almost spin off on his front heel, it looked like a little bit, where the, the power was more rotational than it was to drive. So if the pitch was away from him or getting away from him, it was hard for him to get to it if he wasn't already keyed in on it. Where now it looks like he is more centered on the balls of his feet over the plate. And when he finishes a swing, there's not even a hint of him spinning off on that front heel. I haven't seen it in a game. We'll need to see it before we can, you know, make make for sure. But if the adjustments that he's made to his swing do anything for him moving into the year, that dude, can, he can strike out 30% of the time and his power will make up for it. So I'm excited. I'm hoping, I'm hoping the adjustments he's made working with Mike Tosar, and, you know, Drew Saylor, the other guys in the Royal system will matter. Um, but he's a guy that, you know, has all the tools in the world to be exciting if he works out. Yeah. And you know, he's, like I said, I root for him just because he puts on the best show in that whole system in BP. I mean, he's got Solaire power easy, if not more. So, you know, that'd be fun to watch on TV. So, but until he shows me the game, I can't, I can't buy it too much. So for Travis, sure. Travis, yeah. I, so I'm curious about a couple, a uh, couple of guys here. So we have Alec Marsh at number eight on our, uh, on our rankings. And he's the guy that kind of flew under the radar, even a bit for me uh, over the last couple of years. I feel like he's got some buzz. He's been top 100 in a couple of publications. I believe baseball America had him in their top 100. What do you see from him? And what do you, where do you think he fits in with the Lynch Coar um, Lacey conversation? You know, he's honestly someone that I've just missed a lot. I've seen him for like an instruct start, maybe like two, three years ago. So I don't really got a whole lot for you. Okay. Yeah, no worries. He's a guy, again, like I knew the talent. I heard a little bit about him, but not enough to put him anywhere near my top 10. I think I maybe had him around that 15 to 20 range. But for him to be at eight, I think, you know, and Alex is maybe slightly more tuned in than I am. But this, the, I think it says a lot about where he could possibly be. Alex, what was it about Marsh that made you want to put him in the top 10 here? The – the array of pitches, you know, I, I always thought Marsh, it was his slider. I always thought his slider was going to be his best pitch. And he kind of pushed back a little bit on that in, the, in an interview we did with him. And he's like, you know, I, I'm more comfortable with my curveball. I think it's a better pitch. And my changeup even, he's like, I would rather throw my changeup in a treble count than my slider. He's like, my slider gets, you know, more bite to it. It's probably a little bit of a sexier pitch. But he's like, I'm more comfortable with my curveball changeup. So you, you take that into account. I mean, he's got four pitches that he can throw well. And then his fastball is up to 95, 96. I just think there's, there's, an, there's an easiness to it that's going to allow him to, to cruise to the lower levels of the minors. I think he's a guy that we could be looking at as, you know, pushing the edge of AA, maybe even appearing in AAA before the end of this year. All right. One last question for you, Alex. I was talking about Kyle Isbell real quick. Uh, he's a guy that Alex and I have been really high on since he ended up in the Royal system. And he was really good in spring training, put on some, you know, some highlight reel film out of summer camp and the alternate site. Uh, what do you see out of him? Do you, does he look like a guy that could end up in the outfield conversation for the Royals in the next couple of years? Yeah, and I was actually listening to Jim Callis on 810 with Jason Anderson today. And Jim Callis basically said the same thing, that 
you know, if, if Kyle Isbell had gotten to play last year, he's a guy who's already knocking on the door of the big leagues maybe. Um, so if he starts the year out at AAA and hits well and Michael Taylor doesn't or Nicky Lopez doesn't and they got to move Whit Merrifield to second base, then Kyle Isbell's a guy who could slot in by June. Um, you know, I don't think he's far away at all. He's a great defender in the outfield. His swing is just like naturally perfect for creating the right amount of loft. I just think he's going to be – you know, I don't think his ceiling's very high. Like, I don't – he's not big enough, fast enough, strong enough for me to, to be a 30 home run guy or, like, a 30 stolen base guy. But I could see 20 home runs, 30 stolen bases – or, I'm sorry, 20 home runs, maybe 20 stolen bases with 30 doubles. You know, just a very consistent 110 WRC plus type of guy who plays great defense in the outfield or is serviceable in center. So, um I don't, I don't know what his ceiling is, but I think his floor is a big league, a fourth, a fourth outfielder in the big leagues with a more probable outcome of just being a really good, solid contributor, hitting like in the hitting leadoff, maybe second, most likely six or seven. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, haven't, I, see, I saw him in 2019 with Wilmington, and it wasn't very good. And then I went to the fall league and saw him, and it was a different guy. Um, but I'm right. I can't really argue with anything you just said about him. Um, I definitely think the power is going to mostly come from the double side. And, yeah, the defense is already good. So, like I said, he's not going to be the sexiest player in the world, but he'll play in Coffin Stadium. I was looking to see if I could find his fall league. Yeah, here they are. Uh, don't think that's actually correct. I think that's when he was rehabbing. Looking for his fall league stats because um, he did, I think, tear the cover off the ball while he was down there. But anyway, yeah, Kyle Isbell's a guy that I think is surefire big leaguer as, as early as late May if things are that bad or more than likely um, in June. So let's see, he got 91 plate appearances in the fall league, hit 315 with a 429 on base and a 438 slugging. Like, I don't expect him to hit 315 all the time or have ever have a 429 on base, but you're talking about a 123 ISO. You know, he walked 14 times, only struck out 20, hit a home run and stole six bases. Like that is Kyle Isbell to a T for me. So like his fall league appearance makes a lot of sense um, as a, in terms of what you're going to get from him offensively. If he ever posts an on base over 400 in the big leagues, I will be ecstatic. But you know, a David DeJesus type where he's just, consistently reliable but never really the sex appeal of a guy like eric pena who we've got it right ahead of all right well i think that at least wraps up this our top 50 conversation we'll obviously rehash this most likely in mid-season when we redo our rankings uh for those that uh go ahead and go to the website at royalsportreport.com see all the write-ups at least a little paragraph on all our top 50 uh but for those listening our top 10 is Sula Matias at 10, John Bolin at 9, Alec Marsh 8, Austin Cox 7, Kyle Isbell 6, Eric Pena, the uh, highly rated uh, J2 guy from a couple of years ago at number 5, Jackson Kowar 4, Asa Lacey, the first-round pick last year at 3, Daniel Lynch 2, and then obviously Bobby Witt Jr. at number 1. And we, like I said, we'll rehash this as the season goes on. This is a very fluid thing. It makes it kind of fun. 
but I think we have a pretty good idea of where the system is at at this point. Travis, thank you so much for joining us. We really do appreciate your insight and we'd love to have you on again at some point and talk about what we've seen so far. Thanks again, guys. It was a blast. Absolutely. We'd love to do this again, man. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. All right, Alex and I are here with Kevin O'Brien on Twitter. He's the Royals reporter. He has his own site, royalsreporter.com. Go in and check it out. He's got some really good stuff there. Uh, thank, and he is joining us tonight to talk about his prospect rankings as well as ours. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thank you very much, Joel, for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. So on your site, it is your 21 in 21, so your top 21 prospect rankings for the Royals. Uh, take us through kind of the, at least your, your a little bit of your list here. Yeah. So the 21 and 21, this is my second year doing the list. So last year I did the 20 and 20. And since we're in year 21, 2021, I decided to add one more to the list. Um, and so these were, I think are kind of the ones that I think are just the most interesting to watch for the year 2021 uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, I think it's not necessarily a pure outlook, kind of prospect list, but these are the ones that I think when it comes into this year, these are the ones that Royals fans should be really paying attention to. Like I said, it doesn't necessarily mean that these prospects are better than other ones that maybe not on this list. And I did have an an addition. So I, again, with the recent trade of Khalil Lee, um, I had Alec Marsh moving into the 21st spot and then everybody else moving up. But, um, but the whole point of this is like a, a list for Royals fans who may not really know as much about different prospects and just to kind of say, hey, like who are ones I should be looking for and why they're interesting in one way or the other. Okay. So looking at this list here, at least your top five, pretty similar to ours. Actually, I think it's identical. Bobby Wood Jr. one, Daniel Lynch two, Asa Lacey three, Jackson Kawar five, Eric Pena – or Jackson Kawar four, Eric Pena five. Uh, but I want to move down this list and Alex wants to get into a guy at the bottom of your list that we didn't have on our top 50, but we're curious what you were looking at here. Yeah. So I think with, um, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Alex, if you want to go. No, yeah, no, we we just mentioned off the air. So uh, Lucius Fox, you got him there at 20. I'm glad you've got him there and MLB pipeline. And I think even baseball America had him in their top 30. The Royals clearly think enough of him. I think they invited him to big league camp down in spring training. Um, I personally don't see it. And I'm, and I'm a type of guy with prospects where when I don't see it, I want to be sold. Like, like if you convince me that Lucius Fox is the best prospect in the system, that's great for the Royals. Like, it doesn't do anything for me because I couldn't care less if I'm wrong. If I'm wrong because these guys are really good, that's great for the Royals. So I'm looking for someone to effectively sell me on Lucius Fox. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're totally on, um, totally justified for believing that. I think it's, yeah, I think Fox was a kind of an interesting one for me, um, because again, it, you look at his BA ranking. Like he, and this was when he was in the Rays organization. What I, I got from last year, he was 27. You know, he was 22 and 27 on FanGraphs, um, and that's just from what I got um, recently. And, you know, and he's such an interesting guy because it's, he's one of those guys, kind of a jack of all trades, but kind of master of none. And I guess we've, we've kind of seen a lot of guys like that in the Royal system, but I think it's, you know, when I looked at, um, it was one of the things like, when I looked at roster resources, fan graphs, death chart, he was always kind of one of those guys that was always kind of on the, on the cusp of, of being on the, on the active roster and not now he's not because of the Benintendi um, acquisition, 
But I, I think guys like that, just speed combos, um, defense combos, you're right. Like the hitting is, is definitely – it's not impressive, but I, I like guys with those, those skill sets. And I, and I, and I think – and, I, and I, I have hope for those skill sets, just like I have hope for a guy like Edward Olivares with that skill sets. I think those are guys that the Royals really um, are really – do well with and I think like I think of a guy like Gerard Dyson or, or like and that skill set as well like I know Dyson's more of an outfielder and Fox is more of an inf- more of an infielder but but I, I just think it's like okay the Royals have tapped into guys with these kinds of skill sets and still a pretty relatively um, you know he's 23 that's still not he's not all the way there yet and I and I know that the, the strikeout rates aren't great but again I like the walk rates in some ways it's just like, it's, it's almost like a poor man's like, like at least on the numbers that I was looked at, it, it felt like a poor man's Khalil of some sorts, which I know is not the greatest comp, but it's like, well, we've kind of hyped Khalil Lee for having this high walk, high strikeout approach and saying that's okay. Well, I mean, it's like Fox kind of does the same thing. Maybe not as much high average as Lee, especially recently, but there's some seeds of Lee there. And I kind of wonder if, and at least like we've seen Fox play in triple a and we've seen him two years in double a. He's a guy that I could see come in and and do a utility, have a utility role in the next year or two, but his upside for sure. It's not there. Like he's not going to probably be a starter. He's not going to be a regular player, but I think um, there's something there. And I, and I felt like omitting him on the list would have not been um would have not been fair to people who might not know as much about prospects. So that's where I had a really tough time this preseason weighing floor and ceiling, but more than floor or ceiling was weighing certain skill sets. And you mentioned that the Royals have brought on a lot of guys like Fox. He's the, I, what you said was perfect. He's a jack of all trades, but a master of none. And at some point, I decided that being the master of two skill sets and having no clue what to do with the other three was better than being competent in all five, but not elite at one or two. Um, maybe I'm wrong for that because I do think Lucius Fox is going to play big league baseball, like whether he deserves it or not. He is the type of guy that the Royals are going to allow to play in the big leagues. I just don't know personally where, like where I'm at with that, where it, and a great example of this right in front of Lucius Fox, you have a guy like Tyler Gentry, where if, if I was starting the, a new major, major league baseball team, the Portland trailblazers of the major league baseball. And I was drafting players. I had to take five players from each team and, you know, they're going to protect the ones they want to protect. But, like, if you just made me pick for my new team between Tyler Gentry and Lucius Fox, I'm taking Tyler Gentry because what I don't know about Tyler Gentry is more valuable for me than what I know about Lucius Fox. Tyler Gentry has got all kinds of raw athleticism. Daryl Collins right in front of him, all kinds of raw untapped potential. So I'm glad to see that you've got them in front of Lucius Fox because I love, I, I love the process there. So if you were weighing Tyler Gentry and Lucius Fox, I know you have Tyler Gentry in front of him. It's one spot. It's 19 and 20. 
that's mostly interchangeable. Oh man, my dog just scared the crap out of me. Um, tell me then about Tyler Gentry because, like I said, you've got him there in front of Fox, but the process of having Gentry in front of him is what I like to see, but it wasn't enough for me to include Fox on my list. Yeah, I mean, I think it's – you look at a guy like Gentry, right, and it's and it's kind of it, – it's polish, right? And, and I think what intrigues me about a guy like Fox is, like, is Fox comes from an area where not much baseball history, right? Comes from the Bahamas. Not a lot, and, and those kind of guys interest me. Because, again, you know that their skill set's developing late. We've seen that work in some cases with, like, Lorenzo Cain, kind of um, pure athlete, um, like, you know, developed baseball late. Um, of course, you know, Lucius Fox could be another gift Ngope, you know, and a guy from, like, Africa who just never really panned out, even though he had that potential. So I could see Fox do that as well. But, I mean, with Gentry, I, you know, I put him ahead because, you know, it's, it's safe. You know, you look at his lines at Alabama playing in the SEC, which is, you know, the best – conference in college baseball and those no stats are good but it's again it's like again like you look at kind of okay he has a higher floor but is his ceiling like is he what's his ceiling and and there's a lot of guys that kind of feel similar a little bit in that end whether it's like Brewer Hicklin right it's, it's like these kind of guys who are college polished guys and it's great to have those um but again I, I do love those upside guys and I do and I do like a guy like Fox who I do think um was maybe didn't have the exposure to the kind of skills. Like, I don't know like how much skills like you could really teach a guy like Tyler Gentry. Right. It's like, he's a college guy. He's, tw he's, you know, he's going to be, um, you know, he's 22, you know, and, and he's, and he's probably played baseball in a division one college. And so it's like, you're kind of, what you have is what you're going to get. And it's going to be a certain level. With a guy like Fox coming from a background where there's maybe not as much baseball, going into an organization that's really about player development, like the Royals, that treats player development almost like college. I, I think Fox would thrive in that. I think if Fox went to some other organizations, I don't think he would would thrive. And uh, I think he would like if he went to say like the Brewers or something. Like I don't I don't think they would put the work into him that the Royals would. Um, so and, I, and I'm not saying that. I'm just naming a random team. I don't know. Maybe the Brewers have great. Sure. <laughs> No, I think I think you got a good point there, um, but I'm curious about a guy higher up on your list. Uh, we have him kind of low. I think we have him at 23 on our top 50. And I know your list is not necessarily like a true like you think this is the player is the 10th best prospect in the organization. We have Nick Prado at 10. Do you have him at 10 more to because you want to see the upside, or is it because it's kind of a make or break sort of season for him. I'm curious. We, Alex and I are not as high on him at this point. Uh, I think as, as I mentioned on our previous interview with Travis ice, he has gone down on our list every year. I think every ranking we've done, I think he's gone down from top five all the way down to 23. Why do you have him at 10? I, I think probably I'm in the same dilemma as a lot of you guys, right? It's kind of the, we have the, we, everything we always hear from the Royals is how much we love, how much they love Prado. It's like, like, it seems like every article, you know, every article I felt like I read from the athletic or from MLB.com. It's just like, Oh, wow. Watch out for Prado. Prado is going to make the break. And, and, you know, and it's like, 
we, his 2019 was not very good. And like you said, he's constantly been going down. I mean, this guy was the number one prospect in two, going into the 2018 in the Royal system. And it's, and he's continuing to de- decline. And so I think he's at 10 because I feel like he's definitely one to, to watch. I think this really is a make or break season for him. I don't think, I don't feel as confident in him to where I can say, okay, is he, um, is he one of more to watch? Cause I, I still think he's a couple years away from obviously from the major, from the major league level. If he gets there, um, I don't think he has that, that premium tool, like a Sule Matias, for example, like we know Sule can hit he's, he's done that. I mean, Nick Prado's, I mean, we haven't really seen, he's kind of a, a little bit like Fox too. It's like, he does all these good things pretty well, but the power really hasn't developed the, the contact rates haven't really developed. Um, we keep he- hearing about the defense, but again, those are limited samples that we get from summer camp. I mean, we don't, I mean, and really like how accurate a samples are those like, I mean, Bubba Starling was kicking butt in summer camp and he obviously like he struggled like um, when he got to um, last year. So I, I think I'm probably in the same boat as you. It's like, I don't love him. Um, I'm not sure if he's a future first baseman in in Kansas city. Um, I think, I think he's worth watching because I, I do wonder if I, I do think this is Prado is the kind of the kind of the poster child of what the Royals way or the development position prospects has been, I guess. Right. Cause it's like, they've been hyping up saying, Oh, we've been working with Prado. We've been working with Prado. And I want to see those results. I, I want to see what I want to see if well, everything we've been hearing the last year, is actually going to come into fruition because we've heard a lot of hype, but we haven't seen a lot of um, backing it up from Prado's end. And that's why I I don't feel like this is a hot take necessarily, but I feel like, and it sucks saying this about a kid that's 22 years old, but if he doesn't hit this year, like what are they going to do? You know, how long, how much longer do you, like you held on to Bubba Starling for, nine years in the minor leagues barring a couple of granted he had a couple of injury years but i don't think the royals hold on to him for much longer if he doesn't pan out if he doesn't hit at some point this year or pop the way that we think he can and we've heard some decent things about him maybe figuring some things out at the alternate site and maybe an instructs but it feels weird to give up on a kid that's 22, but at the same time, when you draft him that high, you have this expectation at some point he's going to be in the big leagues. And that's just not the way that things are panning out at this point. At some point, if he doesn't hit this year, he is big league depth. And that's not where you want to be. And that's not the ceiling that you want to see on a kid that you drafted 17th overall a couple of seasons ago. And that's where I think we're at with Nick Prado and it sucks, but that's just, I think that's just the nature of the beast. And that's just the way that baseball's heading at this point. Yeah. And, and I, and I think that he plays a, a position at first base where that, that's such a deep position. Like you can get all over. Right. And it's right. like, and it's, and it's like, why do we have to continue to, to be patient with this guy when it's like we can find stuff on, we can find players in free agency or find players in trades that, you know, we, that are going to give us more guaranteed production. And I told, I, like, I get. Uh, yeah. Elite defense is cool at 
the three best positions on the field at catcher at shortstop at center field. If you give me 80 grade or 70 grade defense at those positions, I'll take about whatever you give me offensively. But at first base where you can give me 40 defense and I'll live with it or even less. And I'll live with it if you can hit, but that's not seeming to be the case for Nick Prado. It seems like his defense is carrying him at a position where it doesn't, matter as much as other positions on the baseball field and i and i i think that's so true and and, and let's be honest i mean it's, first base is a position where we see a lot of other players move to and so it's you know so obviously it's not really i mean we saw hunter dozier move to first base and he did really well so it's not like so how valuable is really that first base defense and and yes it is valuable i don't want to totally downplay prado's strength but at the end of the day, if you're a first base prospect, your goal is to hit. Your goal is to produce. Your goal is to uh, is to be that long term option. And um, if he can't do that, then you're right. I don't think the Royals. I don't know how long he has in this organization. So, I want to ask about a couple guys you have a little bit higher on that list. Mm-hmm. Um, seems like every other publication you read has Lynch two, Lacey three, or Lacey two and Lynch three. If I made you pick one right now to keep long-term for the Kansas City Royals, and I told you I was going to trade the other one, who are you keeping and why? I mean, today I got to go Lynch. And, and, the, and the reason I got to go Lynch is we know what Lynch is at a professional level. And, and, I, think, and I think that's just so key. And I think it's like when you – we have professional experience. We've had we've – had, Lynch in spring training we've had him in exhibitions like we know like where that potential is and I'm not saying that like oh spring training stats that's the end all be all um but at the end of the day it's like while Lacey has been impressive he's been an impressive college pitcher he's been an impressive in the alternate site from what little video we've seen he's still the unproven entity and at the end of the day and I think when it comes with pitchers who are so high risk so so volatile I mean we've seen pitching prospects be really elite one year and go and tank and then go back up I mean look at Mike Montgomery for Christ's sake in the Royals organization um yeah and I think you just got to go with the more proven entity and I and I think Lynch is that and um and, and I know Lynch is kind of polarizing because it's like he's one of those guys who's been like better as a professional than he was as a college guy. And I know for some, for some scouts, like they're like, ah, like, I don't, I don't want to believe that that's real. But at the end of the day, it's like, we're, you know, for a prospect, we got to see what they're doing at the professional level, how they adjust to the professional level. And we don't know how Lacey can adjust to that. We can read all the makeup reports and we know what he, you know, we've seen from his time at Texas A&M and his time at the alternate site, but I got to go with the more proven entity. Maybe Lacey changes that, uh, my opinion, by the end of the year. But as of now, if you put a gun to my head, I go with Lynch. So on, on all these publications, no matter where they have Lynch and Lacey, um, pretty much every – actually, every major publication has Bobby Witt Jr., Daniel Lynch, and Asa Lacey in their top 100 in some capacity. Baseball America still has Jackson Kowar in at the back half, or I'm sorry, right at the very end there at 95. But those are the only four Royals getting top 100 consideration right now. As we move away from the Royals specifically here, if you had to make the argument for one of these guys on your list that's not Bobby Witt Jr., Daniel Lynch, Asa Lacey, Jackson Kowar, if you had to make one argument for one player 
to be included in these national top 100 lists, which other Royals prospect are you going to give your TED talk on? I mean, I think for me, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's Eric Pena. I mean, I, I just, I look at Eric Pena, you, you look at this, everything that you've read, everything that the little that we have seen. And this guy is, you know, it's, has been a legit talent. Him losing a year of minor league baseball is just a travesty. And, and he has other players have lost it too. But I really think that if Pena would have had a full season of minor league ball last year, we would have seen him as a top hundred prospect. I, I really truly believe that the guy, the guy is again, everything that I've read, everything, all the reports. Um, and, and I think the only reason a lot of teams are not, a lot of publications are hesitant to is because they don't, because he lost that year of play. And I think he's kind of one of those guys that publications are ready to put him on that list. They just need to see him put it together and, or, and just to see that, um, just to see that sample. Um, and so I think Pena is, is definitely the guy. I think he's definitely the guy that's going to make the most gains in this um, system over the next year. Um, I feel really um, encouraged by what he's done. And I think, um, I mean, this guy really can be, I think, a five-tool guy. Maybe not wits caliber, but I think it could be close. I mean, I really do. And I think he's, I, I think if we're not talking about Pena by the end of the year, um, I, I think something definitely went wrong. But I, But right now he's the guy – that I say that we're not talking about him now on a national scale, but we should be talk, but we'll be talking about him soon um, this year once minor league baseball starts up again. So for you, we had just kind of talked about the idea of known commodities versus what we haven't seen in Lynch and Lacey. Is the unknown kind of the sex appeal of a five-tool player like Bobby Wood Jr. in Eric Pena? Is that type of unknown ceiling and Pena enough for you to take him over Kyle Isbell? If you're starting an organization tomorrow, you can only have Pena or Isbell. Is that ceiling of Pena that what we don't know? Is it enough for you to take him over Isbell for your brand new Portland Trailblazers team? <laughs> yeah, I would. I mean, I think so in this case, and I, and I think it's. I think one, it's both Isbell and Pena are play the same position, and I think it's just. When it comes to building a team, you got to go with who's the guy that's going to be a superstar. You know, Isbell's, I think it's going to be really good. Like, I think, you know, a lot of people have made this comp, but there's definitely a lot of Andrew Benintendi in Kyle Isbell's game. And I've been a fan of Isbell ever since last year. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like, if you're building a team, it's like, who's the guy that's going to be our three hitter? Who's the guy that's going to be our star? Who's the guy that's going to be leading? in the clubhouse. And, you know, even from what we reports that we're seeing on Pena, just his makeup and, you know, his, um, you know, he's again, you know, has very good um, command of English and all those kind of things. And there's a lot of things that just really like pop out to you and go, Whoa, this, this is not like some really tip. It doesn't feel like a typical, like high risk, you know, 16 year old signing that we have seen. And, um, and, and even like, even, you know, I think, compared to Montessi. And I know like, I, I do feel maybe a, a, it's kind of feels a lot like that levels maybe of, of what we heard from Montessi. And, um, and I think when you have a guy like that, you got to build a team around it, even if it may be a higher risk. Yeah. I, th I think that's absolutely fair. What, what we've seen from Eric Pena, albeit videos from the DSL and from instructs and from BP, things like that. But what do you see from a kid that's 18, 19 years old, 
his skill set is so advanced for a kid that age that you can't help but think he's going to thrive in Columbia, in Quad Cities, very early on. And I'm not – it's very easy to be a hot take machine on a podcast or on radio, whatever. But, I mean, he's got that kind of – like that Juan Soto type quality that like he's an infectious tight player that very early on is going to have success at the minor league level to big league level. I'm not saying he's going to make the majors at 19 years old. That doesn't happen very often ever. But he's a type of kid that is going to move very quickly and is going to be the type of player that is very quickly going to be your three-hole hitter, your four-hole hitter, something like that. And it's just all of those intangible type things that he brings along as well that I think are going to carry him along with the play on the field as well. It's the off-field stuff that I think matters as much too. And I think one really key thing is, is this Royals, their developments, the, the way they've developed their, their model and their player development model in Latin America has really been like t- taking some really big steps over the years. And Pena is kind of right, one of the first big parts of this really strong development that they have. You know, I think when they got Mondesi, it, it was still really early in their development. They were kind of like Mondesi was the first big signing. But they, they've had a really good organization that they've been developing in, um, in Latin America, and it's continuing to grow. I know guys who work for the Royals, like, um, organization, and they kind of said, hey, we're not hiring people unless, like, they speak Spanish. That's, that's kind of where the Royals' focus is now. And the fact that Pena is kind of in that recent kind of development, I think, is also a good sign. Like, they, they, they are not only picking the best, but they're also, like, going to develop them really uh, well whether it's in the Dominican or here so speaking of you kind of drove me to a to a player that I didn't want to bring up because we had moved in the top 100 and this guy is nowhere near top 100 consideration but it sounds like you are more excited than maybe even most about the Royals ability to develop players from Latin America I noticed you didn't have Wilman Candelario on your list is he a guy that you think could be, you know, well in the, into this mix with a good showing in 2021? Is he just a guy we haven't seen enough of yet? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, I, I like I said, like I've been doing some kind of tinkering and I know I expended, I hope to also unveil soon, like a top 40 list in addition to this top 21. You know, I had Candelario at 29 on the new list. And then I also had Michael Garcia at 24. And I think these are guys, like, again, it's, those are definitely guys that are definitely young. I I still am, you know, when it comes to Royals fans paying attention, it's kind of hard to pay attention because it's like, we know that they're going to be in really lower levels too much. And I don't, and I want to, and I want to see more from that, but it's like, I definitely, you know, the, the Royals are really flush with like some really good middle infielders and some really good like players at, um, premium positions and that's not even counting, right? Like Vasquez, who they just signed. And, um, and so I think guys like Candelario and Garcia, and we saw Garcia do pretty well in uh, Venezuelan Winter League. I mean, he was holding his own in, in the Venezuelan Winter League. And, you know, again, Winter Leagues are different. Like, again, I can't tell you what the exact 
level competition Venezuelan is compared to Dominican, but not everybody was doing great in winter league. You know, even like Franchi Cordero, his, his numbers in winter league weren't great. Khalil Lee's winter league numbers weren't great, you know, and, but Michael Garcia was putting up good numbers. And I think Candelario, you know, is has a lot of those similar, um, aspects as well um i feel like i know a little less about candelario which is why i had him a little bit below garcia but it's um but i but i definitely see that upside and and i really like what the royals are doing in latin america and some of that talent that's in the lower levels of the system which could really see some gains over the next year so of the guys you have so under audible mentions under 21 and 21 were alec marsh michael garcia daniel tillo Yefer Del Rosario and Emmanuel Rivera. If you had to pick any of those five guys to be on your your top prospect list, your twenty one list by mid season, let's say, who do you think that would be? I mean, I would look at. I mean, I think it would come down really between like Marsh and Tillo, and it's and 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 the reason I kind of didn't have Tillo on that list is I really don't know what his health situation is. I know he's healthier. I know he's he's recovering. He's recovered from Tommy John, but we still don't know what that's going to look like. We don't know. We don't know what how the Royals are going to unveil it, and unless like I miss something, but. Um, you know, Marsh is Marsh is is so intriguing. You know, again, he's another guy the Royals really gushed about. You know, th- this past summer, and then um, they're really high on. And you look at what his numbers were in the Pioneer League. It's like, I mean, one point oh eight walk per nine. Um, you know, ten point two six K per nine. Those are great numbers coming from a good, um, you know, pack, good Pac twelve school. You know, it's like again, those are all that's also promising. So I like Marsh, but I also you know Tillo. I mean. Tillo was was on the cusp, right, of being, like, on that roster, it felt like, last year until he got hurt. Like, Tillo had so much hype. People were saying, hey, watch out for this guy. They're going to move him to the pen, and he's going to be and he's going to be lights out. And then he got hurt. And so I think Tillo could be in that mix. I think especially since there's such – there's not really a lot of great left-handed relief options in kind of the upper levels of the system. And so um, – so I, he's Tillo could also be one of those guys who could be like, whoa, he really came out and is really impressive. But a lot depends on his health. I did just look up Michael Garcia's numbers in the Venezuelan Winter League because you said that and it dawned on me. I hadn't looked at that in a, a long time, really. Uh, Michael, Michael Garcia in the, the Venezuelan Winter League at the moment, uh, 60 plate appearances, 819 OPS. Um, so he's handling himself well. He is one of the six youngest players in the league. There are two 19-year-olds and four 20-year-olds in that league. Garcia is 20 years old, so he's one of the youngest players in that league. I mean, he's playing with the guys that are – I mean, shoot, there's a 42-year-old, a bunch <laughs> of 37-year-olds. I mean, almost half this league – no, half this league is 28 years old or older, and Garcia stepped in there and handled his own. So, um, you know, promising – promising bit on Garcia there. I appreciate you bringing that up. And that's one of the reasons why I had Rivera as an honorable mention, just because again, Rivera did really well as well in, in, in the uh, Puerto Rican winter league. And, um, and I, and I really think that that was one of the reasons why he got that non-roster invite. Like, I don't like, I'm not sure that just based on his 2019 numbers, he would have gotten that roster invite. So, and like I said, it's, it's hard because winter league numbers, you know, can sometimes be looked at like spring training numbers. It's, you know, they're, but I, I, 
for a guy like Lee, for example, like Lee really struggled in two campaigns in the Puerto Rican winter league. Like he did not like, I was really kind of disappointed that he didn't really do much better in his second um, stint. And, um, and, and, and that's why it's like, you know, I like Lee, but at the same time, it's like, if really that was the one guy we're going to let go, it's like, I feel like you could live with that. So. If you had to give like a guy that maybe again, off your list, off your 21 that you're kind of given like a stamp of approval to who would that be? Um, so just kind of like the most like sure thing, I guess you're asking. Kind of like you're, you're like, you're, this is my guy. This is the dude that I'm going to pound the table for moving on, moving forward. Oh, to me, it's Kyle Isbell. And it's, you know, I, like I said, like, there's something about Isbell. Like I know like when the Royals promotional team, like did a lot of those promotional videos. And again, it's, it's, it's marketing. And, but there's such a strong confidence in Isbell and, and combine that with the skills, combine that with the production, combine that with the approach. Um, And again, I know Isbell's Wilmington numbers weren't, weren't hot but again we also know that injury was huge and and for me but it's just like isbel i could see isbel coming into a major league coming into this royals team like mid-year and just really fitting and and and, and i and i think he has that quality that you can't really kind of kind of teach and i know that sounds like very like scouty and everything like that but i, I just he was one of the guys that i was just really impressed with and he's one of those guys that i could just see really moving a lot quicker than people think. And, and he's continued to do that. I just, I just think he's one of the guys is, um, is moving quick. And then of course, like other than that, Bobby Witt, right. Bobby Witt is, you know, just the way he kind of handled himself, you know, at the alternate site, that was really impressive as well. So I think Isabel Witt are the two guys that I'm just like, Hey, I'm really behind these guys. Okay. Well, Hey, Kevin, this has been awesome. We appreciate your insight as well. It's interesting getting different perspectives on the same organization and you follow the organization. So it's really, you know, we really appreciate it, but we always ask to like to ask one last question to people we interview on the show and I'm going to put you on the spot here, (laughs) but if you could go back in history to one moment in baseball history, you were there, you're in the stands in your favorite spot live in person. What are you going to, what do you want to see? I would definitely want to see the, uh, the Brett Homer, in person at Yankee Stadium, the Pine Tar game? No, no, the um, when he, uh, oh gosh, when they when they hit, he hit the, the the homer to help them go win the ALCS. I think in eighty. Okay. Um, and I think it, one, it's just like every time you like Yankee Stadium in nineteen eighty or like in that late seventies and eighties, just looked like just crazy. Like I mean, like 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 when Nettles hit the game winning home run, like how everybody like just charge the state charge the field and then like all police are just like yeah it's no big deal it's just charging the field like and i just feel like if i I was there like cheering the royals like i just feel like it would just been like i probably would have got like a beer thrown on me or some guy like some new yorker would try to like punch me or something like that that's like so i'm just like oh man this would have been just great so i think that's like to me that moment like being at yankee stadium seeing the royals win to go to their first world series i think that just would have been a really cool thing and especially at yankee stadium in the eighties. So that, that is a unique answer we have not gotten on the show so far. I've asked this to every guest that we've had and that's a new one. And I I always appreciate new and unique answers. 
Yeah. I mean, it's like I said, it's, a, it's, a, you know, like there's a lot of weird things to it. I think it's just, you know, especially since, you know, I'm a, you know, I was born in 87, you know, I really wasn't there for that, you know, that great Royals era where I was really young when it all happened. But I just think the idea of being at like seeing eighties baseball, like, like I think it's just when I watch old films, it's just something to behold. And I just, and it's, um, and I just would love to just be, transformed back in like that early 80s late 70s and just watch a game and especially one that was so crucial i, I would love and just because i mentioned it because you said brett homer and yankee say my mind immediately went to the pine tar game i would love to be in the stands and not know what's really going on and just see Br- george brett just run out of the state out of the dugout like a madman like what is happening right now oh that'd yeah. be great my answer has changed today i've the the pandemic has made me appreciate like pure jubilation in crowds and just like watching a stadium full of 50,000 people absolutely lose their minds simultaneously. So today my answer has changed and I was watching a video of the Barry Bonds, the record breaking home run Uh. and the announcer's call is just beautiful. But like when you watch that, that pitch, like, as soon as Barry Bonds swings, the entire stadium is losing their minds. And to be in the middle of that crowd, in the middle of a season where it's just, it is legitimately 50,000 people screaming their heads off, just the joy that would have been experienced in that moment, just as a baseball fan, would have been really, really cool to see. So I think, you know, my answer always changes. But today, that's my answer. Today, today I think my answer is... And kind of going along the same vein as you, Alex, but it's Hank Aaron's home run. Like, and and I think this goes along a little bit with Black History Month too. Like, he was a black man in Atlanta breaking Babe Ruth's record for home runs. And to see when you when he hits the home run, to see the two guys that surround him when he rounds second base, it's two white guys that are congratulating him on hitting the home run. Like, there's just something very poetic and romantic about that moment, and it didn't matter who it was. Like, he hit a historic home run, and you were there in that moment to see it, and their first inclination was to rush the field and pat him on the shoulder as he's rounding second base. There's something very awesome about that moment, I think, that I would love to be there to see that. Even if I'm sitting in the third deck and, like, the very last seat in right field, to see that moment live would be really cool. And I think there's, there's something like mystic about that moment where like if you showed a teenager that video with no context in, in 2021, it, it loses like, like the, the, the era of the time, it loses that. Like you would never know based on that video all of the harsh realities that were going on through America at the time. Um, and, and for one moment, like you said, for people to, to be coming together, bonding over baseball, I mean, it's – you know, baseball is it, – it's corny to say that that's kind of what brought the country together at certain times. But you think about 9-11 and the first pitch out at, um, at City Field in New York. Or was it – now that I'm it was, saying it was that, at it, Yankee, Yankee Stadium. Stadium. Yeah. yeah but throwing the first pitch out at Yankee Stadium. Um, I, I, congratulations, I played myself there. The first pitch at Yankee Stadium, it's, you know, all of the things that baseball has done, breaking the color barrier, um, the shot heard around the world, like – there's just there's so many moments where baseball has transcended sports that you know I think that video of those two guys with Hank Aaron it, it it gets lost sometimes but it is certainly one of those moments that 
that when I think of baseball and baseball transcending sport, that is certainly one of the five or six moments that I think of. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's, um, yeah, I, I just really can't wait for crowds. Right. And it's just, right. you know, and it's, you know, it's like, even like I watch and like, even I was like, I watch like when I don't even like the blue Jays, I don't like Jose Bautista, but God, like that when you hit that one home run and right. And it's just like the crowd and it's just like, God, that's just so awesome. Like that's like that, that noise is just an, incredible. And it's like, when are we going to get that again? And it's, it's, it's hard. You mentioned that home run and, it's like Alex said, the minute that he swung the bat and there was remote contact, like they knew it was gone. Yes. And the, the Rogers center just exploded. And I'm going to clip that and send it to my buddy. That's a Texas Rangers fan just to <laughs> twist the knife a little bit more because I'd love doing that to him. Cause he's one of my best friends. So I know that I can do that and he won't hate me that much. Just a little bit. Just he only hates me a little bit more when I bring up Nelson Cruz being in rather than playing no doubles in the 2011 World Series. That's the only other time that he might want to kill me. But it, you know what? It's fine. <laughs> well, hey Kevin, we really do appreciate your time tonight. I don't want to, we can go even further into the weeds on baseball history. And one day, Alex and I might just do that. We might just get a bunch of people on and just have some baseball roundtable. But we really do appreciate your time. Plug your site, plug your social media, whatever you need to do. Let's, let's get as many people to your site as we can. Yeah, no, thank you for having me on. And again, I write at the royalsreporter.com. Uh, so royalsreporter.com. You can find me on Twitter at Royal Reports, um, Kev. So at, on Twitter, so capital R, uh, Royal, capital R, Report, capital K, Kev. And, um, and then you can also uh, find me on Pitcher List. I write for PitcherList.com, uh, and our new site is actually um, going to be launching um, tomorrow. So that's also a big deal for us. So, um, so again, check out Pitcher List, especially if you're a fantasy baseball enthusiast. There's just a lot of great writers, a really a lot of smart writers that I've learned a lot from. So, uh, but thanks again, guys, for having me on the podcast. And I just love being able to talk prospects and especially Royals prospects. Absolutely. We love to have you on again sometime, especially mid season. We'll redo our rankings and I'm sure you'll redo yours at some point. We love to kind of rehash things as the season goes on. So we'll definitely try and have you on again soon. Awesome. I look forward to it and I uh, can't wait. So. All right. Thank you so much, man. Thank you.